The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Listen now for God's word to you as it echoes to us from Mark chapter 1, beginning with the fourth verse. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Things are still weird. That's the headline of an article in this week's New York Magazine. The article details the challenges faced by New York restaurants in the face of the Omicron variant surge. Everything including skittish customers, ongoing labor concerns, and product shortages. One bagel shop owner interviewed for the article bemoaned the fact that he cannot get cream cheese anywhere. No cream cheese in New York City. Things are definitely still weird. Most of us would agree. We all knew Rationally, we understood that this pandemic would, would not end like, like a high school basketball game with a whistle and a handshake and a calm voice over the PA system wishing everyone a safe trip home. This pernicious plague still surprises us. It continues to toss the world around with unscripted ups and downs, twists and turns. It's to a point that I don't always know how to react to the latest odd moment served up by the pandemic. 
I almost laughed this past week when our good executive pastor, Dr. Jonas So, asked a Zoom screen of fully vaccinated staff members, okay, how many of you have currently tested positive for COVID? And a third of the hands on screen went up. A year ago, a tally like that would have horrified me. Today, it's a somewhat different story. All these folk are doing well. They have mild cases or no symptoms at all. And every one of them is safely at home quarantining. All of which is to say, things are still weird. <laughs> to be clear, I've been reading reports with all of you from scientists who suggest that Omicron could represent the final significant wave of this terrible virus. Their reasoning and projections of broad-based community immunity make sense to me, and I pray that these folk are right. But we're not there yet. In fact, we're not exactly sure where we are. No one's blown a whistle and told us to head safely home. And that makes us nervous. In an essay entitled Naming and Being, Southern author Walker Percy once observed that a person looks at a, looking at a group picture looks for him or herself first. When you look at a group picture and you're, you know you're in that picture somewhere, you look, says Percy, for yourself first. And, and Percy argues that we do this not because we're terribly vain and because we're checking to see if the photo was snapped on a good hair day. Instead, Percy thinks we search for ourselves in photos because we are constantly trying to figure out who we are and how we fit into the big picture, into the grand scheme of things. I've been thinking about Percy's wisdom all week. I've been thinking about how we fit into the big picture of the pandemic, and I've been thinking about where God might be found in that same photo. That's our task for this morning, by the way. Let's start with God, and then let's, where's Waldo, our way back to locating ourselves in this still weird moment. Every January, Christians embark on the season of Epiphany. Epiphany begins on January 6th, the 12th day of Christmas, and it ends on Ash Wednesday. During this season, we commemorate, as Reverend Sarah Speed did marvelously last Sunday, the arrival of the Magi, scholars from the East who came looking for Jesus. These wise men visit Bethlehem and they have well, an epiphany. An epiphany is a moment when humans poke each other and ask, did you just see that? 
Did, did we just catch a glimpse of the author of all things, the one who cooked up the cosmos? When you think about it, our tradition, our scripture, our faith is fueled by a series of epiphanies. Abraham and Sarah and their mysterious angelic luncheon guests. Epiphany. Moses and the burning bush. Epiphany. Elijah and the still small voice. Mary and Gabriel. Paul on the road to Damascus. Epiphany, epiphany, epiphany. To believe, my friends, is to trust that sometimes the deep, mysterious, loving power beyond the stars can be spotted on park benches and in hospital waiting rooms and high school hallways and at the counter of the local bagel shop. Today's scripture recounts one of Christianity's most famous epiphanies. It's a dramatic scene. John dunks his cousin Jesus in the water, and then as our Lord stands, water sluicing from his head, the heavens rip open, the spirit flutters through this rift and comes to rest on Christ. Finally, seeking to dispel any confusion we might have as to what is happening, a voice echoes from heaven's PA system. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Artists love painting this scene. On the cover of your bulletin today, Ha Chi offers his interpretation. While angels wait for Jesus, one playing a bamboo flute while another stands holding a fresh towel, John the Baptist scoops water onto Christ's head. Above Jesus, the dove of the Holy Spirit hovers, and behind all this, a light shines. This simple ritual is lit by the one who utters, this is my beloved. Christian tradition holds that, that this story, this this group photo, if you will, provides us with a provocative picture of the divine. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. I don't think there's a more complicated area of theological study than the Trinity. How is God one and also three? I remember sitting in a systematic theology class in seminary filling notebooks with diagrams, triangles, and intersecting circles, trying desperately to force geometry to make sense of this grand mystery. I remember technical terms being written on the blackboard like the imminent trinity and the economic trinity. I remember reading and rereading dense texts on the subject and, and feeling like the point of it all was, uh, was eluding my grasp. Then one day at lunch, my professor, David Kelsey, a Presbyterian, casually remarked that Trinitarian theology was simply our tradition's way of saying that God is inherently relational. 
the Father loves the Son. This is my beloved. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit is the bond of love between them. The essence of God, the nature of God, said Kelsey, is relational. I suppose you could say, using language gifted to us by the pandemic, that God lives in a pod. Or more precisely, that this is God's nature. God is a community of love. Now, to return to our earlier question, where do we fit into this picture? How do we relate to the God pod? This is a good question for us to consider today. Why? Because today we're talking about baptism. We're talking about Christ being marked by John. But we're also talking about how a similar watery ritual has marked Christians for over 2,000 years. What does it mean to be marked by God? So the Toy Story movies, if you haven't seen them, they're fantastic, from the amazing folk at Pixar. The Toy Story movies feature Woody the Cowboy, voiced by Tom Hanks. Woody is an action figure who belongs to Andy, a young boy. Andy identifies his toys by writing his name on the bottom of one of their feet. And together, Woody and Andy's toys have all sorts of harrowing adventures in the movies. In the second film in the series, which I think is my favorite, Toy Story 2, Woody is kidnapped by a greedy toy collector. Whisked away from his owner, the cowboy finds himself in a dark room, alone. And then he hears a voice. It's Jessie, a toy cowgirl. Jessie recognizes him. And she's so excited that Woody has finally arrived. He, however, is stunned. How do you know me? He asks. The cowgirl replies, do you not know who you are? And then she turns on a light revealing shelves filled with woody memorabilia. His, his eyes grow wide. You, she says, you're famous. For a brief time, Woody enjoys this fame. The toy collector restores him. They, he stitches up Woody's loose arm. He paints over facial scuffs and the signature on his boot. Woody is as good as new. Yet his existence starts to feel strangely hollow. It really starts feeling empty when Woody realizes that the toy collector is restoring him only to try and sell him for top dollar. Soon, Woody will no longer be a child's plaything, but a museum piece. At that moment, our hero has, well, an epiphany. <laughs> he scrapes the paint off the bottom of his foot, looks at the inked signature there, and embraces who he really is. I belong to Andy. 
That, my friends, is baptism. In baptism, the triune God claims us and calls us beloved. In baptism, God writes on us with an indelible sharpie. In baptism, we are drawn into the community of God's holy love. Last night, I never go out on Saturday nights. <laughs> it's a preacher's burden. Last night, I went out to Newark Airport. I went there to witness the arrival of Chrissy and Mark, members of this congregation who I've told you about before, who returned home last night from South Korea with their newly adopted son, James Han Woo. Last night, standing in Terminal C, waiting for Chrissy and Mark's families, nervous excitement was in the air. We chatted, we, we looked at the monitors, we studied the faces of travelers departing the gate area, and, and then someone in Chrissy and Mark's family said, there they are. Uh, phones were thumbed to life, pictures were taken, videos, and in seconds they were close enough to hug, to surround, to be wrapped in a loving embrace. Eventually, after the furor died down, I took a picture of the whole extended family. Someday, maybe, out in the future, someone will show that picture to James. I wonder if James will, as Walker Percy suggests, look for himself. Look to see where he fits in. He won't have a hard time locating himself. He's right there smiling, held at the heart of a community that is so, so eager to love him. As I drove back into the city last night, all I could think was, we are so clearly made for this. This is the source of strength that will see us through, all of us. Yes, things are still weird with this pandemic, but we can handle it. We can handle some pretty doggone tough stuff when we remember that we belong to God, the one whose very being is loving community and who created us for the same. Friends, we were made by God to nurture communities of compassion and care by God who is a community of compassion and care. Remember this in these still weird days and live always abiding in the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and clinging to one another in the solidarity of the Holy Spirit. Amen.